When the Eiffel Tower was built, it took apparently eight, over 18,000 metal parts. It took 5,300 workshop drawings, over 50 engineers, 150 workers in a factory, putting all the pieces together, and somewhere between 150 and 300 workers on the construction site. Apparently, it required 2.5 million rivets, 7,300 tonnes of iron and 60 tonnes of paint. That's a job, isn't it? Um, when Peter Jackson made the Lord of the Rings films, was that almost 20 years ago now? How scary is that? Wow. Uh, it required $264 million. It took 274 days of filming. It took over 20,000 extras, 1,600 sets of prosthetic feet and ears. The cast used 2,000 weapons that were made for the film. And to create the little village of Hobbiton, 5,000 cubic feet of flowers and fruit and vegetable were required to be planted a year before filming began. Wow, that's work, isn't it? Today we're asking, what do we need to do? What needs to be done? What do we need to do to see the restoration of the church? In these last few weeks, we've been in the Psalms of Ascent. We had a psalm, if you flick back in the context, we had a psalm in 126, a psalm of longing. Lord, restore your people, restore your church. Last week, we had a psalm about building. And it told us, unless the Lord builds the house, we labour in vain. And the question, I suppose, after last, the last psalm is, well, what do we do? What's our responsibility in all this? If it took all this work to build the Eiffel Tower, what does it take to build the kingdom of God? What do we need to do, Lord? As we reflect on the last psalm, we're encouraging this psalm to work for the Lord. The laborers labor, the builders build. What do we do? How do we live to see the kingdom of God restored? I think we need wisdom for that. And in Psalm 128, we have just that. This is what we call a wisdom psalm. Uh, Wisdom psalms reflect on on what it means to live a wise and godly life. Um, They push us to think really deeply about how we live life. These wisdom psalms, they sometimes put together ideas that you think don't go together to make you go, oh, wow, how does that work? And we see that in our psalms. So the psalm said, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And we go, blessing, wow, that's great. Fearing the Lord, that sounds bad. How does that work? How do those things go together? That sounds really, really weird. In Psalm 128, you also see the first half of the psalm sounds like a a wise man is walking in a way where he gets the blessing through what he does. But then you look at the second half of it. And verse five, the Lord bless you from Zion. Is the blessing because the man does it? Does the blessing come from God? Wow, I have to think really deeply about this, right? It's a wisdom psalm. It gets us going below the surface. It gets us going deep. Here's a psalm that's going to persuade us and reason with us to live a wise life to see the restoration of the kingdom of God. And really, this psalm just says one thing. Um, I think it's there in verse one and in verse four. It really just says one big thing, and it's fear the Lord. Fear the Lord and walk in his ways. It's there in verse one. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. And verse four, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So we're going to see this morning that big idea. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. And then we're going to see a couple of things that flow from that. Okay, blessings at home in verses two to three and blessings at large in verses five to six. So firstly, then, 
let's see. What are we to do? If we want to, want to see the kingdom of God grow, well, we're to fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Now, let me say, we are a bit confused in this day and age about fear, I think, aren't we? Um, I was helped this week. I had an ask around. I said, look, what, what, what should I read about fear of the Lord? And someone told me to read a book by Michael Reeves called Tremble and Rejoice. I'm going to say up front, if I say anything that sounds vaguely helpful or clever in the next 10 minutes, it wasn't from me. Um, so thank, thank Michael Reeves for that. We're confused about fear, aren't we? For us, fear is always a negative thing, isn't it? For us, fear in our day and age, it's related to anxiety and danger and worry. And fear is a thing. If you have an anxious heart, you know, it's a thing in our culture. We say, well, you better take something for that. It's the kind of thing we try to medicate away, isn't it? Um, But in the Bible, fear can be both good and bad. Many times in the Bible, you hear of an angel appear and say to someone, don't be afraid but fear the Lord. So there's, there's a, a bad fear there. Don't be afraid. But there's also a good fear, but, but fear, fear, the, fear the Lord. In the Bible, fear of the Lord often goes with joy and blessing. There are loads of examples. I didn't realise this until I read this book, how many examples there are of fear and wonderful joy and blessing. Loads of examples of it. One example is Genesis 28. Jacob has a dream and God promises to bless him. And we read straight away, Jacob's reaction is that he's afraid. You're like, whoa, what's that all about? So there's a good fear, right? Blessing and Jacob, there's good fear. You see, bad fear sees God purely as a threat. Bad fear says God is a judge and all he is is out to get me. So I should be afraid of him. You see, a bad fear of God leads a person to flee away from God, to run away from him. Bad fear of God doesn't lead us toward God, but keeps us away from him, and it moves us to crude religion, trying to buy God off. Here, God, if I do some of these things, you'll like me, won't you? You can see how bad that is, right? And I I think that's what we think of, actually, really, most of the time with fear of the Lord. It's that kind of fear, isn't it? But that fear is so bad because it gets God wrong, Because, see, yes, God is a judge, and yes, at one level, we must be fearful of him, fearful because of our sinful hearts, of course. God is morally perfect, and he finds all evil abhorrent. But God is not just a God of pure justice. He is a God of pure goodness, too. He is a God of perfect mercy and grace. So there's two kinds of fear in the Bible. There's bad fear, and there's there's good fear. Fear that runs away and fear that's drawn to God. And it's that fear, that good fear, that's kind of reverence and awe. It's more like trembling and quaking. Think of, um, think of the bridegroom on his wedding day and he stood at the altar. And the bridegroom comes and he's waiting. Will she show up? Will she show up? Will she show up? Sounds vaguely familiar to me. And she comes through and the bridegroom goes, wow, she is beautiful. And the bridegroom quakes and shakes. She can't be, for, she, she doesn't love me. She's not come for me, has she? That can't be right. Shaking, do you see? That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's this kind of fear that quakes in overwhelmed adoration. It's a fear that goes weak at the knee. 
shakes and shudders and thrills with delight. You see, fear in the Bible isn't just awe and reverence, though it is. But it's also overwhelmed adoration. The God that could have been just hazardous to us, isn't, he means he's utterly glorious to us. He means to bless us. So no wonder in the Bible, the mountains shake when the Lord descended on Sinai. The Lord came down. Wow. No wonder the earth quaked as Jesus was crucified. No wonder the world shook and thrilled and quaked as dawn broke on Easter morning. It is a world trembling and rejoicing at a God who is unbelievably good. He is creator, he is redeemer, he is saviour. And he's given of himself to save even us. That's fear of the Lord. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways like that. Now, maybe you thought when we had that passage read, oh, yeah, you know, be afraid of God and and do what he says and, and then he'll bless you. Maybe you were thinking that. Well, hopefully you can see now that it's, that's not, that's not what the fear of the Lord is. It's that joy that draws you to him, that you cannot but want after his wonderful ways when you've been shaken and relieved to see how wonderful he is. You know, in the Bible, when people confronted, were, were confronted by Jesus and met him, yeah, sure, loads rejected him. But actually, many were drawn after him by seeing the beauty of God in him. And according to this passage, it brings blessing when we are awestruck by how beautiful the Lord Jesus is. You know, follow, this isn't really terrible illustration now that I think about it, um, follow a beauty queen. <laughs> and supposedly you'll learn how to beautify yourself, won't you? Um, follow a mechanic as an apprentice and you'll know your way around a garage and an engine. Follow a boat builder and you'll know something about tying knots and caring for sails. Well, walk in the way of the most blessed and beautiful God. Fear him, love him, adore him. And this passage says you'll know blessing. Now, you might be thinking, well, sounds good, but um, I'm not sure I've got this fear of the Lord thing down. I I don't think this morning that's me. I don't think I do fear the Lord. If that's you, I think that's a really helpful thing to notice. Um, And I think it's really helpful because I think it shows how significant this idea of fearing the Lord is. I think you realise, and I probably don't need to tell you, that this isn't the kind of thing where you can kind of fake it till you make it. You can't fake this kind of joy in God. Boy, would it be hypocritical if you did, right? Similarly, look, fear of the Lord, it can't come from a reluctant or resisting heart, can it? A resisting heart isn't a heart that's trembling and quaking like the bridegroom, is it? And notice that you can have habits. You can have even church-going habits without having the fear of the Lord. You know, you can be a member of a boat club, can't you, without ever going sailing. Um, Well, it's the same here, isn't it? Maybe this morning you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're you're curious, You're, you're looking in. Well, let me say something to you this morning. I think it's true to say that in life we are either moved by God or we are moved by man, so to speak. We either live in fear of God or we live in fear of man. Do you find on a day-to-day basis 
that often the biggest thing that affects your decisions is, what will so-and-so think if I do that? How will people think and feel about me? What will Kate think about me? What will Bob, Lucy, Samuel, and so on? Our culture has a big fear of, of man, doesn't it? I'll get my self-esteem from people. And actually, it's only made us more self-referential and self-cultures. We're, we're more fragile than ever. Well, notice here in this passage, what does it say? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. It's the fear of God rather than the fear of people that gives strength. The other fear, fear of men, will just leave you unstable, unwell, fretful, living in uncertainty. But the fear of the Lord gives us strength, knowing that the God who knows all about me, who knows all of my failures, and yet sent Christ to die for me, even so, knowing that is how much he loves me, leaves me totally secure. At my very worst, Christ came for me. No wonder Christians have often said, fear the Lord. And really, you'll have nothing else to fear. The question is, how do I get this fear of the Lord, right? That's what we're all asking. How do I, how do I get that? Because this is that inside-out stuff, isn't it? It happens in here. How do I get that? Well, we get this trembling before the Lord and then this desire to walk in his ways when we see him. We find fear of God at the cross of Christ, seeing his love on display. That's where we marvel. That's where we quake. That's where we cry and rejoice. And my encouragement to you this morning, Christian or not, if you want to fear the Lord, go to the cross. Meet the Lord Jesus there. There's a song that speaks of the cross like this, and it it makes my heart quake every time I hear the words. See the king who made the sun and the moon and the shining stars. See him let the soldiers hold and nail him down so that he could save them. See him there upon the cross, now no longer breathing. Dust that formed the watching crowd takes the blood of Jesus. Feel the earth is shaking now. See the veil is split in two. He stood before the wrath of God, shielding sinners with his blood. See the empty tomb today. Death could not contain him. Once the servant of the world. Now in victory reigning, lift your voices to the one who is seated on the throne. See him in the new Jerusalem. Praise the one who saved us. That is where we tremble and rejoice. At the cross of Christ. And from there comes the promise of heaven where we will tremble and rejoice in an eternal ecstasy of fear and delight forever. So friends, this morning know this. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and so fearing him loves him and seeks to walk in his ways. Well, this passage says two things flow from this blessing. The passage says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord. They're blessed at home. Look at verses two to three um, with me. Verse two says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Uh, this, this person who fears the Lord, they'll have food and it won't be the f- food of anxious toil we saw in the last chapter. This person will have a kind of life like Adam, where they'll work and they'll find that the ground does yield fruit for them. They'll be personally blessed. And it's a he, isn't it? It's a, it's a person, it's a bloke in this passage, seemingly, who is blessed. Now, as we read that, you might have found that a bit awkward. 
Um, you might think, oh gosh, this passage sounds a bit patriarchal, a bit oh, stumbling over this, I'm not sure about this. Um, hold that thought, because I think who this psalm is about is probably the biggest question, understanding what this psalm really means. So hold that thought in your head, right? Here's this guy, and he gets the fruit of his hands. Who is it? Is it patriarchal stuff? We'll come back to that. But look, this man is personally blessed. At, he's blessed in his work. He's blessed at home. Um, and look at verse 3. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Um, so this guy's going to be blessed in his marriage, okay? Derek Kidner says these verses clearly have sexual connotations. This is um, riffing off of Song of Songs, chapter 7. If you want to see the vine imagery there, go, go there. But the psalm says there is blessing and delight in marriage. The wife is like a vine. In those days, apparently, uh, vines would grow on the outside of houses, but also inside houses too. Um, they would just climb and grow everywhere. So for this man who fears the Lord, well, his wife becomes absolutely beautiful and stunning, and she feels absolutely everything. Look at the outside, you see her. Go on the inside, you see her everywhere, beautiful. It's written on the walls and the pillars and everything else. And then there's familial blessings, isn't there? Blessing in the family. The children are like olive shoots, apparently, and I'm no horticulturalist. Olive trees often cluster sort of together, and they can, they grow, and they can, but they can take quite a long time to yield olives. But here's this, here's this family, and they're like olive shoots. They're there. It took a while, but they're, they're there. I wonder if you've got one of those families where you long to have all the kids around your table, not because you've dragged them kicking and screaming, but because they want to be there. I think that's what's going on here. How wonderful, how beautiful. And olives also have that connotation of oil, don't they? This is a blessed family situation, isn't it? Doesn't it make you want it, just reading those verses two and three? Don't you want that kind of blessing? This psalm is asserting something about reality. You're, you're blessed in this way if you live in the fear of the Lord. Very persuasive, isn't it? You'll be blessed like this. Put on these glasses, see the world with this blessing. This is how God has made the world. You'll flourish if you have God in right perspective, right relationship as you obey him. Wow. But there's a load of other stuff that hits us from these verses as well, isn't there? As you read of fruitful vines and olives, and when it conjures up, it conjures up the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? It's images of paradise, isn't it? It conjures up that, that, that promised land idea as well, doesn't it? A land flowing with milk and honey and fruitfulness. Reminds us of the temple too. Do you remember the temples filled with pomegranates and all this kind of stuff? Apparently even some of the innermost items in the temple were made of olive wood. So you read this and you get all this promise of God stuff, right? These are the blessings of the covenant of God. This is what God has said he would give the people. So this family becomes a microcosm of all of the blessings that God promised to the nation of Israel. Isn't that astounding? from this family you get this miniature blessing that could affect the whole world and we've been asking how do I live to see the restoration of the church I fear the Lord I work in his, walk in his ways and this blessing shows us that it happens in small ways in in our day-to-day lives in our relationships as I fear the Lord as I walk in his ways there'll be blessing In my church family, if you want to see the church grow, if you want to build the church, well, ask, do I fear the Lord? Do I love to walk in his ways? And do I seriously see this working out fruitfully in the relationships that I'm in the most? (laughs) Well, if you do, there's blessing. 
In other words, for our part in the growth of church, it's not projects, it's hearts. It's not budgets, it's people. It's not graphic design and live stream flashiness, as much as some get excited about that sort of thing. It's in ordinary homes and ordinary settings where people love God and live out his ways. We don't need humongous programs. We need faithfulness in our settings, don't we? You want to know how to build the church? That's how it happens. And that would be the impression we were given if the psalm just stopped there. We'd say that's the whole deal of this psalm. This is, this is what we've got to do. Fear the Lord and these blessings in home life and so on. But there's more blessing in this psalm, isn't there? Blessings at large. Look at verses, um, look at what happens in verses five to six. Look in, in verse four we hear, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And you think, great, hooray, there's the, there's the blessing. But then this kind of declaration comes that kind of interrupts the psalm, doesn't it? Someone speaks and points at this man who fears the Lord and says, you're going to be blessed. You're surely going to be blessed. Let me declare a blessing over you. And look at that interruption in verse 5. Look, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The voice points to this man and says, you're going to get blessing from the throne of heaven. You're going to get blessing from God from Zion. You're going to see the prosperity of Jerusalem. I'm going to declare that you see generations and generations of blessing. As that voice in verse 5 points, you know, the Lord bless you. As I read this, you go, um, hang on, who, sorry, who, who, are you, who are you pointing at? Who, who are you looking at? What, me? Well, I'm, I'm going to be that blessed person who fears the Lord? I'm going to see prosperity, you know, my, my life affect all these things? That can't, that can't, that can't, can't be right. I said earlier, we need to ask who the wise man is in this psalm, that it all seems, um, maybe it seems a bit patriarchal, and that seems uncomfortable. Let me say, by the way, um, a patriarch is just a father. This psalm really, at one level, speaks just simply of people being good fathers. And that's a good thing, isn't it, actually? This is a psalm to to rejoice in in that sort of way. Our culture is quite down on dads. This is a very beautiful picture of what dads can be um, when you get a good and wise father. But listen, this, as this voice points, we just go, who is it? Um, who is it who really does fear God and walk in his ways? None of us, no men or women in this room, none of us do enough to receive the blessings of verses 5 and 6. This passage can't be about any man. This is about a man in particular. And you know who I'm talking about. You see, the original author of this text might have meant for this just to speak of blessing in family life, maybe and blessing to the nation. But we know that God inspired this passage for so much more. You see, who is it who really fears the Lord? Who is it who walks in his way and never puts a foot wrong? Who is it whose life brings about a return to Eden? Who is it whose life uh, can bring life to a bride and make her beautiful? I am the vine and you are the branches. Create a beautiful line. Who is it who brings about a feast? where he will bring many children and sons and daughters. Jesus is the man this psalm speaks of. Jesus is the blessed man of this psalm. And friends, we can receive this psalm's blessings, but we do so through him. The church is the bride of Christ and the vine. We are 
Similarly, the sons and daughter. We are the nation restored and prospering with endless days, all because of him. And I think all that does is dial up how this psalm makes us feel. Because what did we say this psalm was about? We said, well, after Psalm 127, it's kind of, what do I have to do? See the restoration of the church. And here I find that the coming of the promises of God, the restoration of the church, it all rests on the shoulders of one godly man. And that could be crushing. But it's not us. It's Jesus. And that should make us tremble and rejoice, shouldn't it? What do I do to see the restoration of the church? I see blessing come to me from Jesus because of everything that he has done. And I fear him and I walk in his ways, not to earn anything with him. I live that way because I already know I have the blessings of Christ. I know I have the blessings of these promises coming. I rejoice and obey because this psalm is already fulfilled and it should make me go weak at the knees. It should make us shake a little. For me, really? Read verse 3. What would it, how wonderful it is that we would be that vine. How wonderful it is that we would be an olive. Do you feel like an olive shoot this morning? I don't. What beautiful promises. For me, really? For me? Are you coming for me? Do you mean for me to have this blessing? You aren't a God of pure threat. You are a God of goodness and beauty and redemption. We quake. We love him and we live for him because he has fulfilled this psalm. You see, we might not see that restoration of the church immediately in our day. Most of us actually won't see those blessings in this age, but in the age to come. But we know that they are coming. We know we have the blessings of this psalm because of Jesus. And that means that we can start small, a little bit like the man in this psalm. We can fear God, we can walk in his ways, and we can see such rich blessing in in our lives. What does that mean for us this week? Well, let me say a few things. Hopefully it means we've got a more biblical way to think about the fear of the Lord. We think of it as awe and respect and reverence, of course, but we also see that shaking before the beauty of God. Hopefully it means we'll see what our wandering hearts are really like. And we'll know that where we fail to love him and live for him, it doesn't mean that I beat myself up and I try harder. It means I've got to understand what fear of the Lord is. And then walk in his ways. I've got to look to Jesus. Hopefully this passage means for some of us who desperately need it, we'll have a greater sense of security in Jesus. And hopefully it means we'll have a way of seeing that the small details in our lives are so significant, actually. The pattern of this psalm is in some sense right for us today, isn't it? That if we walk in his ways, we will know blessing, won't we? But we only know those blessings because Jesus has won them already. So I started by saying it took 20,000 extras to film Lord of the Rings and, well, 400, 500 people to build the Eiffel Tower. Well, here in this psalm, we're told, how is the church built? How does the kingdom of God come? It comes through one man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways rightly, and we are all blessed through him. 
tremble and rejoice. Shake a little and go after him. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we praise you for the beauty of this psalm. We praise you for the, the excitement that it gives us for what's ahead. We praise you for how it thrills our hearts with what we have in Jesus. Thank you that it, it sets our hearts right on who you are and how we might fear you. And Father, we ask for our part that we might live with this intense happiness and joy, this sense of sort of quaking as it were. And that might lead us to to walk in your ways and know something of your blessing in our days. We pray for fathers. We pray for mothers. We pray for us in whatever family setting we find ourselves in. And we praise you that we can know blessing in our church family and our relationships as we love you and go after you. So we pray, might we fear our Lord and walk in his ways. In Jesus' name, amen.